But at first you're proud, so I say who? No, no. Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. A Southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast on Pantheon Podcast, where you can go to find your most preferred uh, music genre podcast. Also, home of the metallica podcast and uh with me always is jason what uh what's uh your world looking like right now ah geez <laughs> man i'll tell you what just just preparing for the holidays you know preparing for the holidays kids getting ready to come back from college here in another week and just hopefully have a little little r&r and some chance to check out and listen to some music brian what, what's going on with you cool well, you know, the latest thing that apparently that, that we're, uh, my wife and I are going to be going to all three shows of the sh- uh, Blackberry Smoke at the Shed in May. And so awesome. hopefully we can, you know, whoever can make that would be cool to have some sort of gathering of the all things blues and Southern Rock, State of America, State Tall uh, gathering. Perhaps, yeah, so I guess anybody who's listening now, like, make get your get your tickets, get ready out there, contact Brian, and I'm sure he'll be um, sitting some more stuff out through Facebook and everything else about meetups as we get closer to those dates. Oh, and so, you know, I'd email a little bit with uh, with uh, Richard Young from the Kentucky Headhunters, of course, and he's trying to help help us like uh, get in touch with Fred to have him on, but uh, I was. Uh, I've been talking to him, Richard and Boone, you know, texting messages back and forth because they kind of said, hey, well, you know, hang out. They're playing in Fargo, December 29th. And of course, Boone does the the uh, the merch. So and I was talking to him about it and talking to Richard and I'm like, you know, uh, wondering how we can meet up, whatever. And I haven't got my ticket yet, but I'm going to get it. He's like, he goes, "Uh, don't get your ticket yet, man. We got you covered. So we're on the guest list. Love it. That's (laughs) what a guy. That's so cool. And you know what? And that's good. We do a lot of stuff with the headhunters. We love those guys. And I think that's, that's a nice thing. Yeah. So what do you got? uh, You got a show coming up here. I do. So Friday, uh, the ninth, this Friday, the ninth, I think it's the ninth, right? No, eighth. Sorry. The eighth. Uh, Them Dirty Roses in Columbus, Ohio at the Bluestone. Our friends, Them Dirty Roses playing a really cool rock club it's a converted church i saw dorothy mm-hmm. and um joyous whoop there before but they are opening for the steelwood so i'm hoping up to catch up with andrew and crew before or after the show and see what's going on but am excited to see them play again because they're so good live and play on a, a pretty nice size stage nice venue yeah man it's always good to run into those guys it's uh you know i think they're one of the uh, few of our guests that we've had on we've both you know well besides blackberry smoke we've both been to their shows but you know someone that we both met in person well charlie yeah falls into that category as well but yeah them guys from them dirty roses and 
Um, yeah, the Steelwoods are from Alabama too. So I think those guys yeah. back a ways. I mean, that's, that's a good bill for them to be on. And it's again, it's nice to see them dirty roses growing, playing some bigger shows and like, that's what they need to do. And they're, they're just a great live band as you can attest to. And anybody that's listening right now should check out their music. They're ascending. They're definitely ascending. They're ascending for sure. So well, we want to talk about the East coast and what's like yeah, rock bands, the, the East coast, coast like the East coast, you know, well, we've, you know, of course, Brooklyn, we, uh, no folks from Brooklyn, of course, Jane Lee Hooker too. and Rob Flores and, and, uh, um, man, uh, uh, Mojo, the Ten Ton Mojo. Sorry, Ten Ton Mojo guys. Yeah, so Lizzie from you know Lizzie and the Makers, that group here, and then we had GA Twenty on out of the Boston, New England area last year. You know, a great three piece blues band, and now what, Brian? Now we know another blues rock band from the Northeast. Yeah, and a band that that uh, I didn't come across on my own. Our buddy Seth Miller, of course, from the state tall gang and um you told us about the gen the delta generators he said, yeah you guys gotta listen to these guys you gotta you know hear these guys you gotta have them on and he uh he you know he has been uh, a great help in uh getting us hooked up with the delta generators we got uh yeah, rick man. rick and brian from the delta generators and uh like we said, we've uh, had the Brooklyn area people, but not besides GA20, that are next uh, band from the Boston area. We're moving up the coast from New York to Boston. <laughs> yeah, it is that, that way, right? We're just moving. Now we just got to find <laughs> some people, you know, like eventually we're going to get up to Vermont and Maine and all that stuff. So, <laughs> but right now, thanks, Seth Miller. Seth, Seth is a great musician on his own. Um, and for him to recommend a band, Brian, we're always going to pay attention. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're getting more, more into the blues, blues part of, you know, this podcast and, uh, but, you know, they talked about how, you know, there's, they're kind of, you know, blues based or blues influenced, but, uh, you know, kind of a blues rock band. And very cool, very eclectic kind of what they do. And they're evolving into, you know, whatever they're coming into. And you'll hear about it in an interview. Yeah. So, you know, instead of uh, listening to us try to go on describing them, you can kick back and relax and listen to our, our conversation with uh, Rick and Brian from the Delta Generators. <laughs> We're here at the guest segment of the podcast, and Jason's going to introduce our awesome first-time guest. Yep, absolutely. Really excited to have these guys on. Now I know, now Brian, now we know a second blues-based rock band from the East Coast. So from 
the Delta generators we have on Brian. That won't be confusing. And Rick, how you doing, guys? I'm doing great. Doing awesome. Before, before when we were just chatting, you guys mentioned uh, GA20. How, how do you know those guys? I've known Matt Stubbs since he was playing blues jams. He was probably about 12 years old. His father, Dale, is also a guitar player. And he was bringing, uh, he was bringing Matt in when he was young. And um, I've done gigs with him off and on ever since. Um, I haven't seen him much lately, which is good for him. <laughs> but... Um, he, he and I actually did a project together just for the fun of it. We called it the Get Backs, where we were doing all funk and soul music. We actually recorded a little EP in his basement, which is a uh, a rarity. You can find that anywhere. It's, it's actually pretty cool. So, yeah, I've been good friends with Matt and been playing with him off and on for, gosh, it's got to be 20, 25 years or so. And uh, we got to mention our buddy Seth Miller, who pretty much uh, made us aware of you guys and hooked us up uh, yeah, thank you, Seth. With, with you guys. And uh, so, Rick, it's your brother that knows Seth. Uh, yeah, my brother Charlie, who's a guitar player in our band, um, knows Seth, I believe. Jason, insert joke here. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I almost did. I'm like, boy, did they spend time in prison together? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Seth is great. Seth is awesome. Um, he knows a lot of people. I think he hooked, I think he pointed us out to Aaron Coburn, who's actually from Ohio, but he saw her playing out in Boston. So we appreciate Seth. He is a great musician. And he always likes to point out other great musicians like yourselves in the band Delta Generators. That's great. Yeah. So uh, that's enough nice things about <laughs> Seth, Brian. We can't say anything nice about him anymore. Right. Now we know you guys are from the northeast of Boston area. So, what, how did you guys get started in music, and then how did the Delta Generators get get started? Brian. Rick, I'll let you go, man, because you know you're you've been in the generators longer than me. <laughs> well, uh, I got started in music from the get go. I was played piano when I was five, guitar got my first guitar when I was seven, and just never stopped. You know, um, and picked up bass when I was eighteen, and kept on going. So. Uh, the generators was supposed to be a side project back in 2007 um and uh it just we, we started started playing some gigs locally and people started catching on to it um and then we made a recording um and then we uh started getting more popular and we actually ended up doing a, a local like blues challenge to the blues society in boston and we won that, and that put us in the blues, um, you know, down at IBC down in Memphis. And that made it even more popular and recorded another album, another album kept on going up and up. Um, in around 2016, um, we, our singer had left, and we were wondering if we're going to keep on going. Um, and then Brian showed up, and uh, he just killed it, and we love him. And that's been it ever since. We keep on recording and playing and do more and more shows, you know. Brian, what's your take on the Delta Generators? Well, before I talk about that, I also want to just point out that Rick is downplaying a little bit his earlier <laughs> uh, his earlier playing. Um, uh, he and his brother were both in uh, in uh, Benjamin Orr's band, um, bass player for the Cars. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and they both played in Ben's band for a while. And Charlie, I believe, even recorded with Ben, didn't he? Did, yeah. Yeah. And um, and then Charlie was also in a band called Must that was uh, a rock band that did quite well and did some tours, opened up for some big names. So, you know, they've got quite the rock pedigree. <laughs> yeah. Well, my so- my take on my take on the generators was was simply um I had heard rumblings about them, but um being a typical musician, you know, didn't really didn't really seek it out, you know. <laughs> and um uh I was um I had a a um a, a charity organization that I had formed called Blind Lemonade, where we were doing um we were doing concerts and giving the money to homeless shelters. I did it for about 20 years. That's a and, great name, by the way, Blind Lemonade. Like it's almost yeah. like, you know, like a blues guy. It's it's fun. It's funny because when Farm Aid and Live Aid and all that stuff was going and I was just getting into blues, I came yeah. up with the name Blind Lemonade long before I came up with the organization. So I almost formed the organization so I could use the name. <laughs> but um but i i hired uh, we had hired johnny a you know johnny a guitar player out of boston no uh-uh. uh he, he's he's got a name for himself he goes out there um but we hired him to do a show and rick happened to be playing bass and so um we were talking after the show and he gave me uh their latest cd and i listened to it and i was like Oh, okay. These guys are, are real. And I became a fan right away. I don't know how much time elapsed between that and when they asked me to join the band, but when they did, I jumped. I jumped at the chance. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Well, Brian, I mean, I know you kind of ribbed Rick a little bit about his background being extensive, and we'll get more into that, but you actually have a pretty extensive background playing in bands, too. You want to tell us a little bit about what you've done, who you've been part of? 
Sure. Uh, you know, I guess my first real band was this band called the Radio Kings that was formed in 1991. Uh, we did we did pretty well for a local mm -hmm. band, and we also uh, won that blues challenge. Although much to the dismay of our local society, we we opted not to go to Memphis. We didn't realize how much of a big deal it was. And two of the guys in the band had day jobs anyway, so it was like we, you know, so... We kind of never got forgiven, got uh, forgiven for that. But um, <laughs> but um, the Radio Kings did quite well. You know, back in those days, uh, you couldn't just record uh, a CD in your basement. You know, uh, you actually had to have a record deal. You know, a, a record company had to decide whether or not you were worthy enough. And we got a deal uh, on a label out of Memphis. Uh, Sam Phillips' nephew, um, Johnny Phillips, Ice House Records, and they signed us. We put on a few records. We ended up getting one on Rounder Records, Bullseye Blues, it was called. And because of those records, we ended up being able to tour, and we hopped in a Chevy van and drove around and got some interest in Europe. So, you know, we made a little bit of a career out of that band. Um, after that band broke up, um, I've been able to, uh, I was on the road with Otis Grand, this blues guitar player out of London. I did uh, a stint as James Cotton's vocalist. Um, and more recently, um, I was asked to join a band that was being formed out of the ashes of the Manish Boys mm -hmm. with uh, Jimmy Bott, Kid Ramos, Anthony Girassi, Willie J. Campbell. And we were called The Proven Ones. And did a couple records with them and did some shows with them. Unfortunately, COVID uh, completely torpedoed that project. But that's another story, I guess. So, Brian, when when were you in James Cotton's band? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I'm just so <laughs> bad. I'm so bad with, with dates. Um, I'm going to try and guess. But I want to say somewhere around... Uh, 2013 okay okay that sounds about right um and um daryl newlish was actually his singer and daryl had put out a record and wanted to take a, a few months off and uh recommended me for the job and i got it right on and i, I if i'm correct or jason like eddie harsh was in james cotton's band right i believe that's yeah. correct yeah eddie harsh the Former Black Crows keyboard player that died some years back here, 2017. But that was like in the early 90s or even yeah, late 80s. Yeah, that was I before think. he was yeah. with the Crows, yeah. So, um, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was saying, what what kind of, Brian, and we'll, Rick, we'll get a little bit more in your background too, but Brian, what kind of, what made you want to be part of this band, the Delta Generators? I, I loved the music, and I can just tell that they were real, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to sound snobby or anything, but you know, there's bands that are doing it for real and there are bands that are faking it. And the, you know, the thing is, is nowadays the bands that are faking it can put CDs out. So there's a lot of music to, to wade through. But when I heard the songwriting and the musicianship of the Delta Generators, I, I knew right away they were a real band. I liked that they were um, pretty much 100% original material they had their own sound um 
I was just perplexed that the singer wanted to leave, but I was happy about it. Because <laughs> he's great. He's a great singer, great harp player, and a really good lyricist. Yeah. So, um, and we just recently did a, a 15th anniversary gig and invited him to come in and join us, which was a lot of fun. It's like Van Halen. We got Hagar come out and do some songs. You got Lady the Roth come out to do some songs. And poor Boston I Gary Schroen sitting off the side somewhere. Just like that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Extreme, but the... I am too. Van Halen Mach 3 didn't quite uh, tickle my fancy. Well... I think, and I've, a lot of people said this, so what I'm saying is not out of the or out of the out of the. But if it, it was more packaged like an Eddie Van Halen type of solo project with Sharon doing vocals, it might have been received a little bit better. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because I think people were expecting, you know, Van Halen. <laughs> right, right. It was definitely experimental. I think it was a lot of stuff that. Eddie had, you know, done or collected over time that didn't necessarily fit in with what Van Halen was doing. And that was kind of the time to to throw it out there. If I remember correctly, I am not a Van Halen historian, although I, I it sounds it feels like I'm one. So where you guys are from in the Northeast there, is there like a, a like a very strong uh blues tradition or scene? Like what what what's what's that like up there for blues and rock and roll? Like on a local, regional level. I think Brian would know it better than I did because you have played with more people. But you know, the truth of the matter is, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but the the blues scene in Boston is not very strong right now. It it, it was extremely strong. I mean, we there was a period there when you know you could go see a lot of a lot of local bands and a lot of local bands opening for national acts uh there were certain clubs um that had the had the the scene there and all of those clubs are gone you know we lost the clubs and um once again i just think back then you kind of had to really put something into it and, and to in order to compete you know, there's plenty of small blues pubs with blues jams around. But as far as a quote unquote scene, I think, uh, you know, the 90s into the 2000s was 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 a strong time for Boston. You know, Su Susan Tedeschi came out of that scene, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, the Radio Kings were touring. There was there was quite a few bands running around out there. Um, I think now it's just it's just not. It's it's just hard, you know. It's just hard to to find you know places to play that really draw a solid blues crowd um, consistently. Yeah, it's I think too like with Boston and the East Coast blues based rock bands, but not just blues bands are really still popular. I mean, you had Aerosmith come out of there. I know the Crows of all and the, all whatever Magpie Slude subversion. The Crows always drew really well in the East. You know, that style blues-based rock one, maybe not the blues scene these days. Is that right? Yeah, I guess. You know, James Montgomery, of course, is still big up here, you know, and he definitely plays a, a more has a more of a kind of a rock thing going. He plays he plays blues, but he's got he's got players. I mean, his bass player it was the go-to guy when Tom Hamilton uh was ill. His name mm -hmm. is Dave Hull. And he he played with uh, Fahrenheit with Charlie Farron, 
and now he plays with uh, with James Montgomery. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. What would you say, Rick? You know, is there? A... Yeah, the blues scene up here is really spotty um, these days. And you're right, Brian. It was like in the '90s, early 2000s. It was really strong. Um, I mean, that's why we were kind of. I was we 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 first started this band. We we're kind of on the tail end of that, and then. Um, it's hard to find places to play that actually want blues. You can find a place to play somewhere, but for your for the audience you want to get to, it's hard to get there. So what do you guys think at that time period, though, in the 90s and stuff, there was a big draw to blues music in the East Coast? Because, I mean, again, you think of the East Coast, the Northeast. I mean, it's not like your blues hub where a lot of blues artists really came from. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's because of that the – the generation, quote unquote, generation before my generation, the guys who I was going to see in the 80s and into the 90s were, you know, were some solid players and had some had some friendships from other parts of the country. Like, for instance, Ronnie Earl and the Broadcasters and Roomful of Blues had a really solid connection with the Austin scene. And they also would back the you know the quote-unquote real guys when they would come to town in the 70s so they carried a tradition on into it and then i think you know for me in the 70s and in the 80s i was in the early 80s i was listening to van halen i was listening to black sabbath i was listening to rock music i wasn't into blues i knew about blues my parents took me to see some blues but but when I saw it live, when I was old enough to get into clubs, and then that coincided with Robert Cray, Stevie Ray Vaughan, the T-Birds got on a national, a big label. So all of a sudden, the blues became part of the popular music, especially Stevie. He, he broke it wide open. Mm -hmm. And I think that carried into the 90s, and the blues became really popular, not just in the East Coast, but all over the world. And we we kind of joked about it. Some of the musicians later on, after we called the year two thousand the Great Blues Depression because <laughs> the blues got so popular that it was that it was it was overdone. And now all of a sudden, every little club had a blues jam, and every little blues jam had a blues band. And then you could stop putting out your own CDs, and it became it became kind of cliche a little bit. It was a fad. And then it, I think it got burnt out. That's just speculation, but yeah. I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty accurate. It's surprising to hear all this because I would just assume, you know, probably incorrectly assume that any big city would have, you know, have a you know blues bands or whatever. Where you want to call it a scene or bands playing or whatever, because um, to me, blues has always survived through every kind of musical fad and trend and it's just sort of survived but brian you do put out a good you emphasize a good point there that you know, it became a fad i guess and i've it's interesting to hear you talk about it because you really put that in a good perspective that i haven't really thought about before yeah i remember doing a lot of corporate events and things where they were handing out blues brothers hats and glasses to the people like the blues was actually a theme for their for their event yeah. It just it became a thing, you know, and the Blues Brothers movie was also part of that. But what people don't know is that, you know, 
uh, Belushi and Aykroyd were real blues fans, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the thing about the, cl- the club scene up here too is that, and when I think back of all the clubs that we used to play, every single club that we used to play back then had a club owner who loved the blues. That's what they loved, and that's what they've had in their clubs. They they didn't have anything else. Later on, a lot of those clubs, even though the owners left, they started thinking, well, we got to get in here what we got to get in here because we need to get the numbers going. And I think that the numbers on blues started to wane. So they started bringing in other stuff. And then, of course, you know, the jam band thing went through the roof and they, mm-hmm. they realized that they could get all those students in lining up around the block, you know, and, you know, you can't blame them. They're business people, but. There's, only, there's not that many clubs left that I can think of in the scene here where I could say, like, that guy is, like, a, a blues fan. Yeah, I'm going to go over to Rick. Um, Rick, how, what was your interest in the blues and kind of what led you get to where you are now and playing, like, this this blues-based rock music? Well, it's kind of funny because I came to blues late. Uh, like Brian, I was listening to rock in the 80s, you know, ACDC and, you know, and, and yeah, there's stuff like Iron Maiden and all that stuff. But um, I, uh, and when the Black Crows came on, I was like, that's a great sound, you know, like that's a great combination of blues rock. Um, but I really started, really started when I started, I came in this band because I was kind of the last person to join. They were like, they had a singer, a guitar player, and a drummer, and they needed a bass player. And my brother was like, my brother's a bass player. And I was like, let's try it, you know. Um, and Craig, the original singer, um, really wanted us to do some, uh, kind of like, um, like original blues stuff, like, and, and also old, old, old covers, you know, of, mm-hmm. of stuff. And, um, it was really handpicked, you know, really curated. And so I learned a lot about it through playing those songs and getting into it more with this band. Um, but then when we started writing our own songs, because uh, our first demo was like just a bunch of covers, you know, nice covers, mm-hmm. cool stuff. But we started doing our own songs. I started reaching back to more stuff and more stuff, and I really fell in love with the blues, you know. Um, that's how I came about it. Yeah, and like for Brian Jones, not not the other Brian. I think Brian, for us, a lot of it too is, hey, we like the Crows and that kind of music, and then you sort of find out what in, what inspired them to do that, or really, you know. Uh, they took to and you kind of go backwards and like you know you learn about all these things and really much like you brian and i were metal guys and hard rock guys like that's all the same bands both you and you and the other brian <laughs> brian t not brian j uh talked about the same thing kind of with our evolution right right brian jones yeah for sure yeah i mean uh like you know jace mentioned the black crows who you know if it wasn't for them we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast but you know, at the same time, like I, I, it, when I only got into them on their second record, but I have a friend who he was a huge Stones fan. So he introduced me, you know, I'm starting listening to the Stones. Well, who did they listen to? It's like, you know, you get to the roots of what, what, you know, turn them on, you know? And so, and, you know, this goes back to the early 90s, but I still say now that my knowledge of blues is still in its infancy because I think they're just so much to learn. You know, it's just, it's just like a, a well that's, you know, never dry. It's always, it's always there to learn more. And I, I was really lucky because uh, in 1983, I turned 21. And that's when I started being able to go to clubs. And a friend of mine said, you need to come down and see this band, Roomful of Blues. 
And when I heard that band live, that changed my life. And I became a groupie of the of that band and of the local bands and eventually the T-Birds. And, and so, and, and I became a friend of theirs. And then eventually a, like a student in a sense. So they gave me a really solid education, you know, and I remember sitting in Ronnie Earl's uh, living room at like, you know, two in the morning one night after I had driven, driven him home from a gig. And he asked me to sing while he was playing guitar. And he says, yeah, do you know Stormy Monday? And I said, oh, yeah, the, the Almond Brothers song. And he <laughs> said, uh, no, Brian, no. <laughs> Bobby Bland. I'm like, who's Bobby Bland? You know, actually, it wasn't, wasn't even him. It was. No, I think it was. A California guy, right? I don't remember the original artist, but I do know the album. It's a cover. T-Bone Walker. I think it's T-Bone Walker. Anyway, I got it wrong. It wasn't the Almond Brothers, you know, but that <laughs> he, he hipped me to all that stuff. And he would tell yeah. me, oh, hey, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells are coming to town. You, you need to go see them. Mm. You know? So I got a good education from those guys. And then when I started doing it, I I wanted to I wanted their approval. So it made me listen and learn. Oh, absolutely. I again, I think we kind of all get to where we're at by the bands that we love and what really inspired them, and the kind of the go back, um, you know, go keep keep going back until you get to the point where everything kind of started. Uh, Rick, for you though, like what what I want to do is talk a little bit about your history. You and your brother played. Um, you played with a you know a legend from a Hall of Fame band when you were when you were with um, Ben Orr. Like, what is that like? What do you learn? What's that whole experience playing somebody who's kind of been at the top? It was. Uh, first of all, I'll say that the whole all the people in the band treated us treated us very well. We were we were kids. I mean, my yeah. brother was. 17 or 18, I was like 20, 21 when we started with that band. Um, and yeah, playing bass for somebody who plays bass. You know, right, right. Is that intimidating? <laughs> at first it was, but then he, it didn't matter. He, he really was kind to me. and It wasn't he, just judging you every time, you know, plucked a string. <laughs> no, nah, and I, I did make, I made sure to get my parts right for sure. You know, we like, yeah, in sleep, you know. Um, but it was really at first intimidating and then really fun, you know. Um, and Lots of firsts, you know, like first time in, on the road, really, and first time playing bigger shows. And, um, and like, I mean, one time I was doing, doing a gig uh, down in Baltimore, and we went back to the hotel, and we used to hang out, like, like the, the me and brother would hang out with a crew more than the other band's members because we were younger. Um, and we turned on the TV, and Fast Time to Rip My High is on, on TV. And oh. seeing there with moving in stereo, there you go. You know it. <laughs> like, oh, I know that scene. <laughs> that music. <laughs> Phoebe Cates. I I know that one. Yeah. You and every other man in this country. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Every good red-blooded American male. <laughs> but so, what do you take from the experience, especially young, working with you know? hall of famer to where you're at now like what are those lessons learned that you apply i mean you have to like we rehearsed a lot for that show because we rehearsed the whole show um and i learned like what it meant to dig into rehearsals and work out a show um and ben Owen was also a, a brilliant songwriter and 
I kind of picked up some of his ideas of pop songwriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Brian probably hates me for because I keep on taking parts out of songs. You know, don't bore us get to the chorus. <laughs> Gotta have that hook, man. <laughs> but it, it really it it does make a difference, you know, when you listen to songwriting structure, that kind of thing. Um and you know, Ben Orr also was wasn't just um kind of throwing caution to the wind. He planned out what he did, both songwriting but also uh, sent um set lists and structure and his whole career. He kind of took an arc to it. He made it a, a real thing that made it made it last, you know. Um, so it was amazing to, to be in that. And then I learned most of it when I left that band and started reflecting on what was going on, you know, because from that point on, I wanted to do stuff like that. I didn't go back to many other, you know, like little, like kind of weekend warrior bands. I want to do serious things. Like I wanted to be a musician the rest of my life from that point on. Yeah, it just would have to be an amazing experience again working with somebody of that caliber has had those successes. He was leading edge of even all those videos on MTV. He even sang like one of their biggest hits, Drive. Like he was co-vocalist. I, I think a lot of people didn't realize that about the cars. It wasn't just Rick Ocasek. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I didn't really think about that either. We, I mean, we had the we had the albums when we were young, you know. Yeah. But you had to start thinking, oh, which one is Ben singing? Oh, that's the one. Like so we did all his songs. Yeah. Of course, but you had to, right? I mean, you, just, you got the guy from the cars. You better do throw a couple of car songs out there. You wrote some new songs too that in the studio that Charlie played on. Um, they didn't do any. Um, I didn't. I didn't play bass on those those tracks, but um, but there's a whole album of new songs we had to learn as well as new stuff. You know, it was great. And unfortunately, he got sick. Uh, he had pancreatic cancer, and he went pretty yeah. quick. So yeah. Just uh, it made me think about this. Is kind of like a side thing, lighthearted. Um, I swear I remember seeing like in guitar world and this is like in the eighties, Ben Orr as you know, one bass player to another. I swear I saw Ben Orr with in an ad he had a Grammy bar in his bass. Do you remember <laughs> that at all? <laughs> I'm not, I don't think could have he has so many different basses. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I don't know how wait, do you have a, a whammy bar in any of your basses, Rick? None of them. <laughs> 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 Brian would yell at you, no whammy bar in the bass, please. I can't remember oh, who we oh, talked. Oh. We talked to someone who had a I'm ready to try it. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Bryce from the Cold Stairs, remember? Was that what it was? Yeah. 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 He had one of his basses had uh, a whammy bar on it. And and Chris was like, nope, never, never <laughs> touch that. <laughs> uh, that's a good uh, a rock, a blues rock trio band, a Cold Stairs out of Indiana. You guys should check out. Uh, not not as quite as um, you know. GA twenty is very stripped down and kind of old school. Uh, the Cold Stairs are like more of a rocky, like power. I would call them more along the lines of like a Cream than anything else. Mm-hmm. Good band. Yeah, they're really Again, good. They, they don't play the whammy bar on the bass in that band. Just so <laughs> you know, that's a no. So how did all all your experiences and like? bring you to where you're at now like what's going on with the Delta generators where you're touring what kind of records you have out like where are we going with everything uh you know i mean one thing's for sure um the songs sound different <laughs> than the first four delta generators records um the, yep. the the spirit of it is still there but um it's just um you know, the way that Charlie and I write is, you know, nine out of 10 times, Charlie's just 
he's just constantly recording stuff at his house and he'll he'll send me the stuff most of the time it's 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 a full song with no with no words now sometimes i might say okay look you know the way i wrote it we're going to repeat that chorus or we're going to do the bridge here but for the most part he sends me that stuff and i'm sure that's what he did with craig as well and i and but i because i'm not a like a diehard any type of a music fan I feel like a lot of times I've chosen the stuff that's less blues, you know, and almost has a more of a, of a rock pop sensibility to it. Um, yeah. Because I said before that, you know, before the early eighties, I listened to all that stuff, but I still listen to it. You know, I still love rock. But I also love bluegrass and I also love, country music the old country music you know right. and i i mean i i love all mostly all styles and um so i think that's one of the bigger differences is that you know if you listen to what we've done which is only that one ep so far we did put on a live record but the one ep you know a song like bigger than the both of us off that ep you know that to me sounds almost like i don't know something John Mellencamp would have put out or something like that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. but when I heard it, I'm like, yeah, this, this needs lyrics. Let's, let's go with this, you know? And I mean, we've got a song on, on this second part two coming out, which is called no man is an Island. And Charlie sent me this music and it starts off with this very reverb drenched acoustic guitar and I'm listening to it. And then when the thing kicked in, I was thinking, this sounds like Pink Floyd, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, okay. So I was thinking, all right, well, uh, Echoes, you know, I remember, you know, the way it sounded with Gilmore and and um, and Richard Wright singing harmonies together. And that's the way I wrote it with that in mind. And I don't think there's anything on any of the four Delta Generators records that sounds like Pink Floyd, would you say, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> so the music's definitely changed and we still do a lot of that material though. Um, so. So that's interesting. Why, I guess, why is it changing a little bit? It's because, hey, there's a new vocalist. It's just an evolution. Are you guys trying consciously to do something? I think because of Brian, it's a new spirit, a new, you know, it's the band has always been a four part, like four people contributing. Um, we, I mean, they, they come up with some stuff on their own, but they bring it to Jeff and I, um, and we put our own part to it, our own stamp, our own, whatever, want, you know, what do you want to call it? But I, we like the four people in the band is just Dell generators. That's the only way we're going to do it. You know, um, we yeah. also are not afraid to do, some people call them blues Nazis or blues purists, you know, like we don't want to stay in that, that, you know, yeah. in that one element that, because blues is, is a living thing. It's, it keeps on right. progressing and um, growing. So we blues based. Sure. We love the blues. We love the original blues. We love the blues based, um, like other things too. And we want to not limit ourselves to writing and recording and playing stuff, especially live. Um, you know, make it feel good and it feels good to play. It's part of our sound, you know. Yep. As you were saying that, Rick, it made me think of, you know, and others, you know, 
friends of ours and people we uh, you know hit on here and chatted with kind of emphasize that too where it's you know we obviously have a deep respect for the 12 bar blues but you will hear talk to more artists that are like well we're more like blues rock or we're more than that you know that's sort of in there somewhere and so i don't know if that's just an observation or or what but you know it's, it's interesting to hear you say that I think that we first called ourselves a blues band as a as a genre when we first started mm-hmm. so these days we call ourselves a roots rock band with blues influence because mm-hmm. we it's yeah water uh, I guess net I, I would call it too and like your most recent record and that's the one I think Brian was alluding to the last year part one is Brian that was your first one you record on with them correct yes. So you're taking Brian, who's a vocalist, and you're writing lyrics and helping write the songs and kind of your perspective is helping shape this more modern look at what the Delta generators are. But I, I don't I don't think it's anything that we're trying to do. It, right. There's been no attempt to do that. It's just how it's worked out. Um, you know, if you listen to the earlier stuff, you know, uh, Craig's got a really, really awesome kind of like voice that's really kind of like um i don't even know how to describe it it's gruff and it's really i mean it's just really great and uh i can't sing like that you know what i mean that's not how i sing yeah so i just think things have just changed because that's just and once again i think it's also that charlie's been sending me these things and i i sometimes i think i pick the ones that maybe craig might have passed on I'm I'm just speculating. You know what I mean? Yeah. So are, are you guys the type of band too? Hey, if if anybody brings something to the table, you're willing, willing to listen and give it a try. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I, I play in a band. I don't do it for a living. We've been playing forever, but our sounds evolved over three records, and including this fourth one we're working on, where it's just somebody has an idea. We try it out and like, you know, it's it's cool to do whatever you might have a song that sounds punk right, rock, Americana, country, a straight rock, blues rock. Like it's a lot more fun than like, nope, it's got to sound like this or fit directly in this kind of category. Yeah, I, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go back to, uh, you know, when we were talking about the scene and now talking about your live shows and I'm looking back on some of your tour dates and, you know, I see dates in New Hampshire and Rhode Island, and there was one in Indianapolis and Florida and stuff. So as you're talking about your area there in Boston, you know, does that mean, but what Rhode Island and New Hampshire, is there, are you finding more of a scene or welcoming vibe in other places? Yeah, I think for us, it's just a matter of our, our situation right now. I mean, we're just not really able to, um, just because of where we are in our personal lives, mm-hmm. we're not really able to, like, say, be the band that can jump in a van and go out for two or three weeks at a time. Um, and we've all had experience doing that. And I think for us right now, it's more about... Um, we want to play choice gigs and play the places where people love the music. And I mean, we've all had experiences where we just, you know, you, you just got to go, you got to get it done. doesn't matter where you play as long as you get the gig. 
And I think for us, it's just, uh, you know, Rick's got a job. I'm a farmer. Charlie and Jeff are both swamped with lessons. And so, you know, if you leave town, you're not just, you know, you're not just uh, going out on the road. You're losing your income while you're here. Yeah. And then hopefully you'll make income out there. But it's not easy anymore. Brian, before, what do you farm? Before we go to Jason's question, I just I think I meant more like, are you finding when you do play out wherever that's not right in your that Boston area, are you finding more people that like, you know, you know, your style of music where you say that in Boston there's not enough clubs or whatever? Or like Yeah, I mean when we when we played in Jacksonville, it was a blues festival and people loved us. Um and uh, but when we played in Indianapolis, for instance, that was a club that I played with the Radio Kings in the '90s, and um, I called them on a whim just because we were like itching to kind of go out and do something. And we went out there, and they paid us well to go out and play two nights. But the club was right across the street from the place where the Colts play. Oh yeah, Lucas Oil Field. Yeah, and the club was the Slippery Noodle, which was right across the street. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> it's it's the oldest bar in Indy, actually. Is it? <laughs> but they used to be a pretty solid blues club, but now it's more of a uh uh a, a touristy type place, you know. Yeah. So whereas I think we won a few people over, and there was a couple of people there that were there when I was playing there in the 90s that came out to see me. But um for the most part, you know, it was just kind of people we were just kind of like there you know what i mean so it, it's hit or miss you know it's hit or miss yeah it was fun well, especially if, if you're not torn all the time too and really building a fan base in a certain area you're gonna you're gonna be hit or miss yeah yeah so we we like the way it is now you know we, we we're <laughs> playing we're, we're being choosy about our gigs because the the places that we play now, every single one of them is a place where people are there. They come to see music. They come to see us or they're just coming because they heard about us. And, you know, there's no TVs on and, and all that stuff. And, and so because of that, we don't get to play as much as we want to. But we get to play and have good gigs whenever we play. And there's a new club that just opened up in Portsmouth a couple of years ago that we've been trying to get into, Jimmy's Jazz. And we just got a gig up there. Um, and they, they're they a great club. And they I, I saw them go up to some people while I was up there to see Anson Funderburg. And um, they told them to stop talking. <laughs> the people <laughs> came up to their table and said, you know, it was a slow, quiet blues. And... They went up to the table and said, you got to stop talking. You know, if, if you don't want to listen to the music, then you can leave. Yeah. And that that was that was impressive to me. Mm -hmm. There for the music. Well, I, I want to get back to the one question. I asked. What do you farm, Brian? I'm curious. There you go. <laughs> uh oh, we're going to we're going to see it drive track. So what, what are you what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Uh, I raise on. Um, Organic and non-GMO pasture-raised pork and chicken. Okay. So livestock farmer. Livestock. And we do some vegetables as well, but we don't really sell those. And we also do this 
thing called rent the chicken where we rent out chicken coops to people for the summer, <laughs> which like is actually eggs. very popular. It's like the main moneymaker for our farm as people want to have chickens at their house. Yeah. They don't want to deal with wintering them. So we drop off the chickens, the coop, the food, everything that they need to go from May to October. And then I go back in the fall and I pick them all up. So that's what we do here. It's almost like farmer camp. Like you're giving somebody the opportunity to be a little bit of a livestock farmer on their own, like without yeah, yeah. having to buy in. <laughs> a lot of the customers do it because they've been thinking they might want to have chickens. Yeah. Not sure. And so we've had, we've had quite a few customers where I go back and I just end up getting an empty coop because they've gone out and bought their own or built their own and, and they, they buy the chickens from us. Yeah. So, and I, I assume they're just for eggs, not really for eggs. the poultry. Yeah. Well, they get the eggs. But no, they're not, they're not eating birds, but yeah, yeah. they get the eggs, but it's pretty expensive. So, I mean, I figured it out at one point that, you know, if you, if you have two, two hens and they're, and they're laying uh, um, an egg a day each, it comes out to about $20 a dozen that you're paying for those eggs. So it's more for the experience of having chickens. And some of these yeah. people uh, become quite attached to them. Have you, become... uh, <laughs> I was waiting for Jason to try to tie this in, uh, referencing a recent guest, but uh, have you uh, thought about getting oh. duck eggs? Duck eggs, yeah. <laughs> we talked to uh, Brian Forsyth that was, used to be in Kicks, from, Dan from Baltimore. He, he likes duck his duck now. eggs. Yeah, he has a duck egg person that he's got to get his duck eggs from. I thought <laughs> uh, we got to get kick out of that with Brian. Like, why duck eggs? And like, how do you get into eating duck? Like, it's just a you know, it's a definitely a, a different thing. Yeah, yeah. I've never had a duck egg. I guess they're a little bit bigger and a little bit, um, I don't know what, how he described it. I know it's a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit, a little bit richer of a, of an egg, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Next, next year, rent a duck, rent a chicken, your choice. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep moving on up the poultry, you know, the bird, the, the bird scale. Um, <laughs> that, that is, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about this most current EP, like the last year part one, and also what's what's coming next in terms of, of records out there. Well, this uh, new EP is, um, like Brian said, we you know, kind of spread more uh, our genre or writing, you know, not on purpose, but just happened to be that way. Yeah. Um, the first one had a couple of songs that were different than our usual, you know, blues rock. And this new one has actually, I think, six songs, Brian? No, I think it's five, right? Five, maybe five. Anyways, um, yeah, what happened was we recorded all these songs during, right after COVID, and we split them up into two different albums because it was just easier to handle them. And also, they were sort of different animals in the, in the, on their own, um, but they do work together. So, um, so we're going to release, release it uh, early next year. We haven't got a date to say right now but you'll see it out next year and um i think it's going to be uh people are really going to like this album and we have a couple of surprises right covers so yeah and we are we're currently planning to do um 
a tour based in France in August next year. And because I'm sure that the majority of people over there have not bought part one, the plan would be to print up a, a, a whole, you know, the last year as a full 10 or 11 song CD and sell that over there instead of trying to sell two EPs. Yeah. You know, so that's that's one of the things we're thinking about. But on that first one there, you know, Inside Your Blue, uh, we got some good um, airplay on, on satellite radio. We were in lo lo rotation. I was getting texts and calls from friends of mine all over. You know, you, you get, the picture. The, you get the picture. Bluesville? Uh, yeah. You get the picture of their of their um their display, you know. <laughs> Delta generation. Oh yeah, they take a picture from the car and like You're yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was good. Yeah. And where do you record these records, Rick? Are we doing it with your brother Charlie? What are we doing? Where, where, where do we record them? Yeah, yeah. We record them. Well, the last couple albums were uh in a place called Woolly Mammoth. Uh, sound which is in waltham massachusetts um and so i think since well last yeah last two albums not the live one recorded at uh the spire but yeah so um it's a great studio as uh i mean they have so many gears already there like drum sets and amps and things and guitars to try and um uh, david minahan is our, our engineer and just gets great sound, you know. So we had we we recorded the, the fourth Generators album, Hip Shakers Heartbreakers, there, and just fell in love with the place. And so when Brian came on board, we said we want to go back there, you know. So we've been David was, had a band for many many years called the Neighborhoods in Boston. They were a great 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 rock band. Yeah. What is your overall goal? for the band like where, where where do you want to get to are you happy doing what you're doing now do you have aspirations for global conquest like really what what is what's the delta generator's direction i like to subscribe to the idea of be careful what you ask for <laughs> <laughs> everything is fine the way it is and if something happens great but um you know I just turned 60, you know, what, what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> I'm going to go out and uh, become a, a rock star. You know, I mean, I'm, I, if we can get a chance, you know, you know, what would really be nice if we could get a chance to to open up for somebody, you know, maybe do some shows with a band. That would be yeah. cool, I think. But for me, once again, it's like, I don't think about that stuff anymore. I just, I'm just happy to play. I don't, I really, really love watching people get off on our music, and they yeah. do. They really love it, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, if it, I would want to play with anybody else, this is my favorite band ever, ever been in, and I just want to play with these guys. I mean, they're fun to hang out with. They're, uh, you know, serious about music. Um, I can count on them, and. It's just a fun band, you know. They all play so great. I mean, they're inspiring to be around and to play with, you know. So keep on doing what we're doing. Seems to be going well. So it would be nice I if like we can it. get some more shows for August because we've got some festivals booked. So now we have a challenge, you know, to try and find some shows 
that we can use to fill the blanks in between. But it's a, it's a challenge because um, unless we can find a touring company to help us, then we'd have to find out about how we can rent our own backline in a, in a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And by the, by the time all those expenses come, uh, we might not make any money. But we're willing to do it together, you know, um, and because we just want to go over there and play, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. If I can make one wish, I want a booking agent. <laughs> yeah, there you go. For those of you listening, you're, you like the Delta Generators, your booking agent, here we go. <laughs> so before we wind things down, we for, forgot to mention at the beginning, uh, we like to do a lightning round of just silly random questions that Jason likes to fire off at you. Are you guys up for a lightning round? A short lightning yeah, absolutely. round? How about a <laughs> right, lightning round? A white, is that is that um, moonshine, right? Yeah. All right. I, let's. I'm drinking coffee right now, so let's. I'll pretend it's moonshine. Yeah. And I'm drinking tea. So. <laughs> we're so adults here, man. We're very adult. It's, you know, we talked to all these rock guys, and you included. Like no, like nobody's ever crazy. It's everybody's drinking a coffee or a tea or a soda or something. <laughs> All right, let's get in the lightning round stuff. It, it, we'll ask you a couple questions. So, uh, Brian, you kind of hit on something that I usually ask everybody a little bit into it. But uh, if you guys could choose any band to, to play a bill with, open with, whatever, do a tour with, who would you guys? Who would be optimal to choose? Any band? Yeah, any band, alive, dead, whatever. Oh. I think I. I think I'd pick Queen. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that was the greatest. To this day, I saw them in Boston Garden on the uh, Day at the Races tour. And still to this day, the best concert i ever seen. Freddie Mercury was in Thin Lizzy opening. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's wow. an interesting bill. So, so we'll... we'll yeah. We'll kick Thin Lizzy out and put the generators in. <laughs> Rick, what about you? Who would you choose? Oh, God. I don't know. I I guess Led Zeppelin just because it's a, a big rock show that I'd like to be part of, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. And if, uh, let's say, we'll ask you guys both this individually. But Brian, you open that show with Queen and, and Freddie and Brian, everybody else invite you on stage to participate in the song. Which one would you choose? Which one of their songs? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I guess tie your mother down. Let's say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's a rock and blue. It's 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 blues. It's rock. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's a good, that would be a good one. Rick, you, your your guys are doing Led Zeppelin. You know, uh, Robert says, come on up on stage. John Paul Jones is going to go over and play the, the Mellotron or something else. You're doing the bass. What are we playing? Oh, probably the ocean. Oh, God. That is such, that's one of my favorite Zeppelin songs. Very underrated from Houses of the Holy. I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. Great riff, great opening riff. The solo is kind of cool. How it, ch- it change? I think it changes key like halfway through it or something too. Yeah, it's a cool song, and it starts off in a lot of time, which nobody realizes that. But it's yeah, cool. yeah, 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 for sure. Great choice. I I like you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Man after my own heart. All right, 
close to the holidays here, close to Christmas. What give me your favorite two or three rockin' Christmas songs? They can be covers, they can be originals, and Rick will start with you. Like what's your go-to holiday rock and roll? God, um I mean, geez. Rockin' Christmas song. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could take the Brenda Lee song and like rock it out, like make it really heavy, you know. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people have. I think a lot of people have. But you got to get Elvis. You've got modern stuff. You've got all all this different things you can choose from. Like yeah. for me, I'll help you guys. Christmas wrapping from the waitresses, one of my favorite. I also love. I was so going to say that, <laughs> Brian. I really like the you. Baseline, the baseline yeah. that song. Mm-hmm. Yep, so good, <laughs> so good. Um. Christmas time, don't let the bells in by the darkness. That's another one I love. If you guys haven't heard that song, check it out. Thank God, I have to check this out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Jones, do you have a holiday favorite rock songs? Uh, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> there you go, Santa Claus. Run Rudolph, run. Oh, Santa Claus. That's the one he did. Brian, do you, Brian T, do you have anything outside of uh, the waitresses that you really go to? Uh, I like 2,000 Miles by the Pretenders. And um, yep. it's not really a rock song, but one of my go-tos is always This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. Um, Good one. Yeah. I just love his voice. I just love Donny Hathaway. Yeah. So that would be probably another one of my top ones. Are you too familiar with Whamageddon? <laughs> I don't know that one. Is that a band or or, or a? Uh... <laughs> it's a contest. Rick, are you aware of Whamageddon? Oh, is it about well, Yeah, befriend me on Facebook. We play it every year in December. So the goal is from December first until Christmas to avoid hearing Wham's Last Christmas. <laughs> it's like Survivor to be the last person. It has to be the original. It can't be a cover. Can't be elevator music. Nobody can wham you by sending, like, you can't be set up. You have to hear it naturally in the wild, and we keep record, and people will post when they're out. So, again, <laughs> goal is to go as long as you can without hearing last Christmas. I just showed a cover of that today, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can guarantee you there's no chance I'll hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't go in public. You can't, you know, have the radio on on a holiday station or anything, and that's 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 kind of the fun of it all. <laughs> i think i'm gonna start next year brian mariah geddon where it's uh, mariah carries uh, all i want for christmas is you and we're gonna do <laughs> wham again and mariah geddon <laughs> all right all right mo- moving on um what was the first live show that you guys both have seen in like in your lives who, who was the band and we'll start with you rick um uh, fascinating having um the first live show I saw was, I mean, like club show or like big concert show. Anytime, any first time you remember going to see live music, your parents took you, a sibling, whatever. I mean, when, when I was uh, growing up, my stepdad played bluegrass. So I went to all kinds of bluegrass festivals when I was little. My first like sort of independent like club show with my friends. I went to the channel in Boston and saw Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, jeez. Wow. Gnostic Front opening. It was like a wow. Heavy. Yeah. Did you get in the pit? Had my first time in the pit. Yeah. I was like yeah. 13. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, that's rough, man. That's rough. And you survived. I did. Till till till, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, how about you? What was the first time you went and saw a live show? I'm not going to be able to pinpoint one uh, because my parents were huge, huge music fans and they dragged me and my sister everywhere they went. I mean, I was literally like in, they were mostly jazz fans, um, but also my mother was huge classical fan. So, I mean, I grew up in Boston. I grew up in Symphony Hall in Boston. I grew up in the jazz workshop in Boston. Um, And so they would take us to these clubs and then there was all kinds of outdoor things. Boston used to have a thing when I was a kid called Summer Thing. And it was live concerts every weekend outdoors in various places in Boston. And they'd pack us up. So I can't really pinpoint one. Um, the first concert I ever went to where I said to my parents, I want to go, was that Queen show. And they took me. I went with my parents. And my mother yeah. fell asleep in the, my mother <laughs> fell asleep in the concert. How does that happen? Because she she worked nights. Oh, and, okay. And she had yeah. been up all day or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my mother my mother could sleep anywhere, <laughs> so she fell asleep in the concert. But uh, that was the first time I ever went, and the first time I ever went to a concert where they let me go was Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band at Boston nice. Garden. And man, that was a great show. Great, great, great show. What a live band he had. That's rock, rock and roll. Yeah, man. Boston music. What is the greatest band or artist to come out of Boston? And Brian, what do you think? Your opinion. Got a lot of good ones. We've got the Cars, Aerosmith, uh, Boston, uh, the the Pixies. um, Jay Giles Band. Jay Jay Giles Band, yeah. I'm going to say for all around spectacle and just a soundtrack of my growing up, um, Aerosmith. But live, the 70s. <laughs> but live, Jay Giles Band. Yes. They were an amazingly great, great live band. They're the perfect example of the sum is greater than the parts. Oh, yeah. Like, you have to listen to them live to really get and understand who they are, right? Like, that's just not the recorded stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was that's what they were. They were entertainers. You know, Peter Wolf was, you know, the second greatest front man ever, I think, except for... They have a really good live album, right? From, like, the late 70s. Like, it's really... It's all pre-centerfold stuff, like which is the, yeah. the one song Full after House. many decades. Yeah, it's called Full House. Yes, and also uh, Blow Your Face Out. That's a double live record that was pre-centerfold. They had a post-centerfold live record too, I think, because that was the first record I had uh, on my own, like my first cassette. You know. Yeah, and I was going to say Jay Giles too, as far as bands because yeah. first album i ever heard from them was i think maybe i heard centerfold but then i heard a live album and i couldn't believe what they were doing live and in soul i mean i that's one of the things that maybe want to play music like you know rock music yeah that's a great choice and i'm glad brian you brought that up because i was completely leaving out the jay giles band all right so are you guys sports fans 
Nope. Brian's a no. No. All right. We can't talk Boston, New York stuff. So we will, we will <laughs> move, we will move on from there. Uh, what is your, what is your favorite place to play a show? Hmm. Like well, now you're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> like we'll if just, you pick, like we're going to play, we have to play one show. This is kind of our home base. We're feeling most comfortable. We love going there. What is it? I, I'm going to say, I think, for me, Rick, it's the Spire. Yeah, me too. Which is why we recorded a live record there. Yeah, it's a combination of it's in the hometown of where I grew up, Plymouth, Massachusetts, um, and it's it's a an old synagogue or old church basically that was turned into a venue. But part of the they they leased the building, and part of the agreement is they couldn't change any of the structure, you know. So they originally had pews and everything else, like for you know for seats, um, but it's a, a nice, a, it's a big enough venue to have like a like a, an event, like a theater, but it's not so big you can't see the you know the audience can't see the mm-hmm. audience. Maybe yeah. you know people total and you know, and the sound is great. Yeah, the sound is really you know, good. Right, churches are designed for acoustics and stuff, right? That's the whole. So there's a, a place in Columbus, Ohio here called the Bluestone, which is an old church. They converted to a music venue, and I've seen a lot of bands play there, and it is awesome. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Brian Jones, I'm going to see Them Dirty Roses Friday night opening up for um, – who are they opening up for? I can't remember now, but I'm going to go see Them Dirty Roses playing. At where? At the Bluestone. The, okay. the Bluestone. Yeah, the bluestone that church that's been converted uh, to it. Yeah, all right. Um, what is one venue you guys want to play that you've never played? Any venue? <laughs> any any venue, man. Anything's open. Small, big, in between. Madison Square Garden. Nice. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never played this venue. I've played this venue before, but not with this band. And I think that I would love this band to play the House of Blues in L.A. Oh, very cool. Do you play that with Ben Orr's band? Actually, with Johnny A. Oh, okay. Really? What do you What do you like about that one? It's a cool setup. It's a um. It's again a big enough venue that's like feels like like an event, but intimate enough that you feel like it's a club you know it's like combination and it has a cool setup as far as where where people sit and things like that so it's fun okay up the if i'm ever in la and get a chance to go to the house of blues i'll check it out massive square garden of course the garden legendary place that's why people want to go it's huge all the big I ones i don't think we've gotten these two answers before we get a lot of uh red rocks and the ryman in nashville red right. rocks yeah. would be great Every once in a while, a Fillmore or something, but it's mostly Red Rocks and the Ryman that we get. So I I do appreciate a a different perspective on that. Okay. Who is the last three artists you've streamed, listened to, played on whatever device that you you choose music from? Brian, do you know what those are? And if you use your phone, you can look. It's open book. Well, I can tell you one of them is definitely Marty Stewart. Uh, because I went and saw him recently and I've been totally hooked on his music. So I've been all over Marty Stewart. And I tend to go through these little things where I, 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 I do a lot of driving. So 
I'll do a thing where I decide like, okay, I'm going to listen to the entire catalog of so-and-so, you know? So I just recently did, I, I'm not through the whole catalog, but ELO was a band that I've been listening Ooh. to lately. I'm, you Jeff know. Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'd say who else? Uh, oh, Magic Sam. I, I was, was on a bit of a Magic Sam kick lately. That's those are good choices and ones we haven't really heard before, Brian. I don't think too I much. Think so, no. yeah. Rick, what about you? What do you got? Um, okay, well, <laughs> I should be honest and say that I use my playlist to play for, for my classes as well. I'm teaching, but uh recently I listened to Couldn't Stand the Weather, uh Ray Vaughn. And I also listened to Keith Jarrett. Hmm. Uh, player, so um so you know we I'm need all, one more. We got one more. Um, how about what else we have? Uh, okay, I was listening to this for for work, but I listened to the uh Randy Carlisle version uh, cover of Closer to Fine. <laughs> oh, she's a hell of an artist, man. She's really blown up. Yeah, yeah, she is. It. Brian, these guys are great. Very eclectic choices on both their music venues and what they've been listening to on their playlists. Correct. All right. Last Indeed. question for you both before you, we turn you loose back to farm and teach and whatever else is going on in your lives. Give us a band or artist that we'd be surprised to hear that you like. Public Enemy. Oh, I mean, who doesn't like Public Enemy? Well, <laughs> so you're not surprised? I'll pick another one then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, give us another one. All right, let me think. Go ahead, you go, Rick. Um, geez. You'd be surprised to know I like to think I like. Or a guilty Brian, pleasure. I, I Brian, I know why you said that because public enemy being a hip hop band and you guys doing blues and blues rock, you wouldn't yeah. necessarily have a connection. I mean <sighs> so many bands, so many bands. How about Dude, suicidal tendencies? Like, come on, like that would I'd be like, these guys like suicidal tendencies. I mean, I, I do like, I mean, I like them back then, and I still like uh, some of their songs. You know, it's, it's they're a great band, and they had a you know a thing. I yep. mean, I, I kind of chased that whole back then, I chased that whole scene like Anthrax and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, thrash, thrash, yeah. I'd say if if we want to go down guilty pleasure uh, mode, um, the Carpenters. Hmm. Ooh, I really, really yeah. like her voice as a singer. Did. I love. Everybody her. says she was a great drummer too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually did a um. I I played in the pit band for a Carpenters like um tribute, um, and did a whole bunch of his, her song their songs, you know. So, and they show some clips of playing drums. Carpenters is a great choice. I love it. Rick, are you going with Suicidal or somebody else? Well, uh, okay, Guilty Brothers, I listen to like uh, Sade, you know, like. <laughs> my my wife, our wedding song was a Sade song. There you go. See? She's everywhere. Respect. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> All right. Speaking of everywhere, where do we send our, our, our listeners to go to find out everything about uh, the Delta Generators, where you're going to be, everywhere, everything that's going on with you guys. You'll find us on Instagram, Facebook, 
uh x you know all the places um you called it x everybody calls it twitter you called it x i'm trying to be hip you know <laughs> delta generators.com uh, very good website you can get records and digital versions of the albums and stuff on there i see store all that sort of stuff contact band there's some video clips a little bit of everything all right, guys, thanks so much. Again, listen, they're everywhere. They're on all the social medias, deltagenerators.com. Check them out. They got a new record coming out sometime uh, this coming year, Lost Year Part 2. And if you're going to be in France in August, check them out. Over to you, Brian. Well, thank you so much to Rick and Brian from the Delta Generators. Like Jason said, the most recent record is the Lost Year Part 1. Part Two's coming up. Uh, go out and check these guys out wherever they play. So thank you guys so much for coming on. means a lot to us. And uh, we had a great time chatting with you. Can't do it again. Uh, can't wait to do it again sometime. Oh, well, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much to uh, Rick and Brian from the Delta Generators. Uh, great to uh, uh, hear about, you know, uh, history of the band and how that's all going. And uh, I don't think we've had anybody from the Boston area. Brooklyn, just, a lot of Brooklyn people, but not well, Boston. We had Matt from GA20. There you go. He's, yeah, I right, think he's right. in, but I think he's in Rhode Island. But you know, they're known yeah. for that area. So this is now two that we have of this type of music in that in that area. And it was good. It was good to talk to him. They've got a. What we didn't get into Brian is a little bit of the history of both those guys. They've had really long sustained careers and played in a whole variety of different things. It's just it's just hard to get into that within an hour. Yeah, and Rick's been in a band with Ben Orr from the Cars. Very, very yeah. interesting. And they uh, played with NXS, Stone Temple Pilots, Aeros. Like, right. really, like, we didn't even scratch the surface on right, that. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely, uh, you know, interesting that, they, you know, that that uh, Brian knows, uh, you know, Matt from, from GA20, so it's cool to have that kind of connection. We didn't know about that before. So it's cool when that happens. And uh, yeah. Talking to enough people now where we're, you know, we have a, a pretty big network, a pretty big family. When that we're going to start crossing, crossing, coming across different names that we've had on. Yeah. And also for like what these guys do, you know, to support the music and, you know, uh, Rick being a, you know, a music teacher, which isn't uncommon for us to come across. And nope. now we've got a, a poultry, poultry farmer, uh, not duck eggs, but, you know, close enough. Right. If, if Brian Forsyth ever needs a chicken hookup, we know, we know a guy. Maybe he could get, uh, he could get, uh, you know, a duck, duck coop. Is there a duck That's coop? what I said, Meg. He can move. He can, <laughs> Brian can move on to, to ducks and just go around the whole poultry. But what I really liked about them, the conversation, I kind of asked them, hey, what's the goal of the band? They're happy doing what they're doing and where they are. And I think that is great. Play some shows, release some records, have a, a life. And like, I think that's awesome that they're, they're happy doing what they're doing. Yeah. And very wide variety of stuff they listen to. I mean, Marty Stewart, suicidal tendencies. <laughs> it's, <laughs> If you had place. a tour together, it'd be the suicidal Marty tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But no, good, good dudes. <clears throat> I like their music. You know, I was checking this stuff out. I really like what they're doing. And the second EP with Brian on it, I really am curious to, to hear what it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. So, and thank you to Seth 
Mr. Seth Miller, Miller. buddy, for hooking this up. So that's uh, right. Two talents, Aaron Coburn, and now the Delgin. He's going to be our talent coordinator. There you go. He doesn't know it yet. We'll tell him. So always remember Southern Rock is reverent, blues is blood. We'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 